Well, coronavirus has given us a gift. The gift of livability, livability, livability. And I want to share what is going on. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Today, we're going to do some whip cracking of wealth. We are really going to unlock some fundamentals around how real estate will work into the future. Of course, coronavirus has come along, a massive black swan event. We've had green swan events earlier in the year with terrible bushfires here in Australia. Real estate is morphing. Real estate is changing. If you're an investor today, you need to be across future changes in real estate trends. And today, this podcast is going to give you some great trends around economics, the changing nature of people and place through urbanity, and some huge social trends, which I think you as a property investor need to really understand. Now, if you've listened to my previous episodes, you would understand my story, which has brought me here today to speak to you and lecture upon some of the great extremes that real estate actually has. We, of course, understand real estate as a wealth creation vehicle and people can rely on real estate to get wealthy. I really want this podcast to help you crack on to what is known as the 1% Club, where 1% of people get to live off the financial rewards of real estate, live off passive income. It's happened to me. It can happen to you. I didn't do it through any great means other than endurance. And I think today, one thing society lacks is the ability to take pain and endure things for the long time. Real estate ultimately is a long-term sport, but we have to make some critical decisions along the way. And for me, the big critical decision today through the coronavirus economics is the critical conversation around how people will live in Australia. Will migration morph? Will migration the great Australian driver of economics change as a influence of coronavirus. Well, I tell you what, I've got my coffee hot. I'm ready to talk to you about migration. I want you to understand the changing nature of how livability is going to create wealth through real estate. If you want to make money out of real estate, if you want real estate growth, then livability is a massive driver. Of course, Australia is morphing into a have-and-have-not society, so migration is a big underbelly of growth. Remember, inequality is real in Australia. More people are in desperate need of more money. Their wages aren't going to get them there. The Australian government has a big plan by 2051. It wants 40 million people in Australia. Remember, to grow an economy, you do that in four ways. The first way, increase your population. It increases the ability for more spending. 
more spending in the economy, the circular economy works. You increase your productivity, more production, more spending, more money floating around, more wealth in society. You innovate. Innovation is a form of productivity. It increases spending and it creates more energy in the marketplace. And of course, you can sell your resources. So we know Australia has ultimately a big plan. And today, I think we need to conquer two huge questions. Is immigration going to lead to property values changing? As we know, the borders are shut. Also, what is the evolution of immigration post-coronavirus, the pandemic unfolding, and now that we are ultimately living in a period of long-term contagion? The pandemic is here, folks, and it is not going away. We're seeing the rise of outbreaks. We have just seen Victoria close its borders. Victoria is like the dirty little kid that came to the party and spilled food all over their face. It's failing Australia. It's failing New Zealand. Come on, Victorians, do your bit. Get back in here. We want to be free of corona. Ultimately, Australia and New Zealand have done some great work in tackling the coronavirus, and I think it will lead to a conversation around Australia's brand, what it means at a global level. But let's crack the code of immigration. Let's start with the big picture. As I alluded to, Australia has a business plan. By 2051, it wants 40 million people to do that previously, Australia has a quota system. In fact, the quota system of Australia is to bring a minimum of 160,000 new residents into Australia. This is actually a functionality of Treasury here in Australia. Treasury needs 160,000 people or the economy does not grow. Remember, putting more people into an economy creates more spending, creates more circular energy. That circular energy of spending creates more jobs. The flow-on effect is massive for us property investors. Ultimately, property right now is going through a resurgence. Yes, a resurgence. A lot of people are seeing low rates, good rents, and the ability to create growth from rental returns out of their real estate right now. But ultimately, without immigrants, will property values change? Well, of course they will. There's going to be a correction of sorts in places. And I'm going to talk you through the winners and the losers of Corona Economics migration move number one. Remember, what will the evolution of immigration post-corona be? Today, I want to explore what that all looks like, starting with the digitalization of the university system. Remember, Australia needs 160,000 people in its economy, uh, rising through immigration growth for GDP to improve. More GDP, more wealth for us all, less GDP more inequality across Australia, more haves, and ultimately more have-nots in Australia. 
So what are the big migration shifts? Well, I think we do need to recognise that Australia's typical growth plan has been through its university systems. I was just at ANU in Canberra. It was pumping students everywhere, local, international. But ultimately, we do have our borders shut. And what that is doing is allowing education in to embrace the digital world. All of a sudden, those people who want a degree from Australian universities are still achieving that result, but they are plugging in at a digital level. This will ultimately lead to further and continued migration. The pipeline is not cut. Migrants will come through the university system as normal, Right now, they're not here spending, they're in their home country spending, but without question, that extra university degree from an Australian university puts more points in their migration move to Australia. Remember, the university system is an incubator for immigration. Having it shut and uh, having it uh, locked up is going to cost billions of dollars worth of money to Australia. Ultimately, the flow-on effect or the ripple effect of that is big. We've got to get them open. We need people returning to them. Australia is addicted to the idea of more people, more tax, more revenue, more spending, more infrastructure. So, first thing we can work out from the immigration, migration move, of corona economics is students are still in play. They are still a big part of the puzzle and we will see the digitalization of universities continue as people will plug into our universities and, and do it from an offshore rather than an onshore environment. The next section of migration is an interesting one. It is actually the idea that immigration or migration is happening at a local level. In other words, people are leaving suburbs which are not appropriate during a pandemic and moving to suburbs which offer more due to coronavirus. We are now seeing the evolution of livability, livability, livability. The idea in real estate was once upon a time as a property investor to choose location, location, location. And of course, those words still are accurate. A great location is ultimately one of the best things a property investor can do. You can do what you want to real estate, you can renovate it, you can knock it down, rebuild it, but ultimately you can never change its location. The challenge with location, of course, is it now is expensive for property investors to consider. Some of the most premium locations around Australia and New Zealand are bought out. So what do we turn to as a property investor? Well, coronavirus has given us a gift the gift of livability, livability, livability. And I want to share what is going on. The movement of people from ordinary neighbourhoods 
to exceptional livable areas. Now, this is happening at a global level and at a local level. In other words, people are uprooting themselves from suburbs which are unlivable to go and live in more livable neighbourhoods. Also, you're seeing, obviously, this happen at a massive international level where today around the globe, we have some big cities. We have mega cities with people of more than 10 million in the city itself. We have large cities from 5 to 10 million and we have medium-sized cities from 1 to 5 million people. Today around the globe, there's some 500 medium-sized cities of 1 to 5 million people. These cities are going to be the massive beneficiary of coronavirus. If you today live in a mega city of 10 million people globally, you are seeing a pandemic rip through your city realm. Your public realm is infested with the pandemic itself. And obviously, if you're having to live in a big mega city, you are starting to question that choice whether you should actually move to a much smaller city, which is more, uh, more, more capable of giving you a great opportunity to work, live and play safer. And so Australia and New Zealand are going to be the beneficiary of the livability movement, firstly, at a global level. People will fall out of love with where they're living around the globe. And of course, Brand Australia has just gone up exponentially in value. Brand Australia was falling behind from a global immigrant uh, point of view. Places like America, the Europe, uh, England, Canada were all superseding the movement of people to Australia and of course the movement of people to New Zealand. However, we have medium-sized cities in Australia and New Zealand. And of course, when you come from a global city, a city even like London, all of a sudden you're realising that potentially there is another way to live life that is going to be ultimately less impacted from a health level, less impacted from an economic level, but ultimately you can move to an Australian city and live in a very, very good urban area for a reasonable price. And ultimately, that brand of Australia today, particularly with the way it has fought coronavirus, is now gone up exponentially in value. Australia's brand is worth twice as much than it was pre-coronavirus. Today, if you were anywhere in the world and you wished you could do uh, click your shoes and do the Wizard of Oz and end up in a new place, you would be betting on Australia. You would be betting on New Zealand. If you could do the Wizard of Oz and you came from Europe, you would be like, get me the fuck out of Dodge. I need to go and live in Australia. So don't understand, don't misunderstand what is going on. 
Australia's future immigration is going to be massive and that's going to play out for property investors. Essentially, we could see the greatest undersupply of real estate and the greatest knocking on the door in the history of Australia's population movement into the future as coronavirus wreaks havoc with the rest of the world and relatively is untouched here in Australia. We also have to really remind ourselves that livable neighbourhoods are absolutely cracking at a time of pandemic. They are really so good for our well-being. Now, the urban world, our urban cities, really our regional cities, Australia has 21 cities which have and carry a livability score. When you analyse the data of those cities, you can see uh, around 30% are ultimately really livable neighbourhoods. They offer everything that you can imagine. So the next manoeuvre of migration is not the conversation around more people coming to Australia. It is actually the conversation of people leaving suburbs which ultimately are less livable and paying a premium to live in more livable neighbourhoods. What does this actually mean for you as a property investor? Well, it really does mean if you carry real estate in livable areas, you will get an uplift in value. That will either be seen in capital growth or rental growth. Now, here's the thing. We're all trying to get to this 1% club, the magic 1% club of people who live off real estate passively. In other words, real estate pays them to, to, uh, to live. They don't need a job. Real estate is their servant. The rent from real estate pays them for their livelihood. Passive income is a massive mystery to many people, but the endurance of being a long-term property investor is all about getting to the point of passive income. So in reality, if we understand that more people now have a greater respect for livable neighbourhoods, what is going to happen is more people are going to want to live in livable neighbourhoods. And of course, that means the rents are going to go up quicker. And that means for you, ultimately, you can retire faster because you're going to have more income being generated from livable neighbourhoods. The trick, how do you find a less expensive property in a livable neighbourhood so you can invest at the right rate, get the great capital growth, and of course, see your rents double. Well, that's probably a topic for another podcast, but ultimately, if we look at the livability maps available, all of a sudden we see there is a massive correlation between rental growth, capital growth, and the ability of demand. Real estate is an opinion sport. If more people have a positive opinion about an area, that area goes up in value, more money moves into that economy, those local areas go up significantly in value. You really don't have to turn any further, for example, from the Southern Gold Coast precinct. You would see on the livability map of the Gold Coast, uh, fundamentally, um, south of uh, the South Gold Coast Tweed area is booming in value. And of course, the reason for that is around 
Australia, people are turning to that area as a livability hotspot. If you checked out, for example, Burley Heads, you would see Burley Heads today uh, on realestate.com gets twice the amount of views as the Queensland average. Why does Burley Heads get twice the amount of views as the Queensland average on realestate.com? Because it's ultimately a livable neighbourhood. You can live there, you can play there, you can work there. There's great knowledge, there's great wellness. There is the great mobility, there's great walk score. All these things are adding up to the reasons why more people want to live there. It's a very, very livable place. Here's the equation property investors now need to understand. Livability equals demand. Demand equals profitability from real estate. If you want your real estate to grow, buy in a livable neighbourhood. Now, we are also seeing the idea that livability is recreating uh, our areas that are really going through a transformation of the idea that there are key ingredients and those key ingredients include walkability, how walkable is a neighbourhood, how social a neighbourhood is, the public transport of an area, the food environment of an area, the alcohol environment of an area, the safety of, an, of, of a precinct, the employment opportunities, the housing affordability opportunities, of course, green space. So for us as property investors, we need to now really look at some of these metrics because after all, there are a lot of suburban areas which are unwell. People live there. They hate where they live. They are now being put in more lockdown dynamics. And all of a sudden they're going, you know, we can't do this. Let's go and find a place where we can at least walk to the shops or we can at least walk to the local park. If we are going to work and spend more time at home, the social puzzle is going to change. We are going to change with it. Let's go to the livable areas because they are ultimately going through the great change of corona economics. So what else? What else is unfolding in migration in Australia? Well, we do have the return of the cashed up expat. Many Australians and Kiwis have drifted overseas to Europe, to America, to England to earn those British pounds and of course they've earned well and now they are having the realisation that it is time to return to Australia because Australia is the safe haven. New Zealand is the safe haven. The safe haven of Corona, the safe haven of many, many economic fundamentals. So what we are seeing is Australia has some highly skilled people that have drifted offshore to earn really, really huge amounts of money. The good news is for us all, uh, they are returning in droves and bringing back with them more money from other economies to circulate in our economy. Where will they live? Well, one would argue for the most part, given how wealthy they tend to be, that they will also explore 
Australia and or New Zealand's livable areas to be first pick to buy in. So we know Australia is a safe haven and we are also seeing new ways to come up with the quota of 160,000 people. Remember, we need 160,000 people to increase GDP. If we fail at that number, we get no GDP growth from new immigration. It is a fiscal move to put more people in your economy. It increases spending. If more people are spending, there are more jobs. If there are more jobs, there are more people who need a home. It is circular in the nature of its economics. And of course, right now you're seeing draft legislation to offer, for example, Hong Kong residents the opportunity to safe haven themselves in Australia. Uh, Scott Morrison's not the first Prime Minister to do this type of move, to look at who's in the country. If immigration is slowing, if brand Australia slows, we can turn to the people who are on temporary residency or temporary visas here in Australia and fast-track them to Australian citizenship. Today, there are 17,000 people from Hong Kong who've woken up and realised they don't want to be part of the Chinese communist system in Hong Kong and they would not mind the opportunity to safe haven themselves here in Australia. And of course... Those 17,000 people do help make up that quota of reaching 160,000 for Treasury to increase GDP. So we are seeing some changes and I hope you're starting to understand some of the brilliance in what is occurring. We've got the Brand Australia, we've got Living Local, we've got the Livability Movement. And of course, now we have the idea that People are more capable of not going to the office. Fundamentally, we've all been socially engineered to work from home. If you are an office worker that works in the digitalization community, we are now seeing the transformation of less need to go to the office and actually more ability to connect in a better way through the digital world. This will have a flow-on effect. And the big losers of the digitalization of the jobs market, particularly the office market, is really going to be people who live in a very unlivable place of, for example, Sydney and Melbourne. They are our biggest cities. They are our hardest cities to live in. They are our most expensive cities to live in. And if you don't live in a good pocket of them, you've kind of missed the boat to live a life of living in a very livable neighbourhood. So all of a sudden, you don't need to travel 45 minutes to Sydney's CBD because your workplace is restructured, rethought how it's going to succeed and now realises that you can work anywhere. So what do you do if you live in a fairly crummy part of Sydney with really low livability index score? You're not living on the beautiful beaches. You're not living on the beautiful harbour. 
you're not connected to the beautiful inner urban world of culture and arts. You're living in a crummy part of Sydney. All of a sudden, you've got the opportunity to change. Do you take the opportunity? Do you reach out and move? Well, I can tell you it's not even a question. It's real. People are getting up and leaving. and They are going to other places. In New South Wales, the winners will be satellite feeder cities, for example, Newcastle, for example, Wollongong. But we don't discount people are even leaving and going to southeast Queensland. Really don't have to look past southeast Queensland as an ultimate migration internalized hotspot. People can really go up to southeast Queensland and buy a beautiful home, $600,000, be 10 kilometers to Brisbane CBD, get the benefits of a really livable neighborhood, get the benefits of great schools, really formidable healthcare, and of course have the functionality of being close enough to a CBD to use the infrastructure that big CBDs have, all at the price of which most people could not buy a home in Sydney. Not even a home 60 kilometres from the CBD in a very unlivable neighbourhood. Remember, when we measure livability, we're measuring the idea that areas carry walkability, social infrastructure, public transport, great food culture, great festive culture or alcohol environment, great public open spaces, employment opportunities, the affordability of housing, and of course, green spaces. Can you do that in crummy Sydney? Well, no, you can't. Can you do that in livability southeast Queensland? Yes, you can. Can you do that in livability Newcastle? Yes, you can. So all of a sudden, people are making the shift. They're getting out of Dodge. Of course, that is one thing which is going to lead me to my final conversation piece, which is wellness migration. Wellness migration. It's massive. Here's the thing you need to know about the wellness community if you don't know much about it. It is really the biggest rising force in real estate. It is going to be the thing that people talk about most. Do you live in a suburb that can actually make you live longer? That is an interesting question. Do you own property investments in a suburb where people will pay more rent because they want to be associated with wellness? It's an interesting conversation because most of society is unwell. Today in Melbourne, there are 300 suburbs. Only 18 of those suburbs are actually bulletproof for future wellness things like climate change, but also have the ability of what I was talking about with livability. How valuable do those suburbs become into the future? All of a sudden, as we see green swan events like the devastating bushfires which started the year in Australia, 
black swan events like coronavirus, we now realise we are living in a period of continuous disruption. Coronavirus is not new. In 2012, Australia had the Hendra virus. Viruses are part of life now. We just had the Zika virus in South America. We've had Ebola. We've had HIV. We've had MERS, SARS, you name it. We've had so many viruses over the last 25 years. It's the first time, though, an outbreak of this magnitude has happened. So how valuable are livable wellness areas, areas that specialise in the core fundamental that if you live in the right spot and you live the right way, you're going to live longer? And we can look no further than really our number one wellness community, which is Byron Bay in the north coast of uh, New South Wales. Byron Bay is a wellness community. Today, Byron Bay is one of the most expensive real estate markets in Australia. It's more expensive per house than Sydney. Sydney's average house price is a million dollars. Byron Bay supersedes that. Why does Byron Bay do this? This is a small little town and it's got a lot going for it but it really does have one could argue a repro uh, uh, a recuperative energy to it so there's studies around the world of recuperation and what it means to live longer now you can get some great uh, intel on this. There's a con conversation around what is known as the blue zones. The blue zones are five places around the world where people won't die. The blue zones include Okinawa, Japan, Sardinia, Italy, and of course, Ikaria in Greece. These places people live forever. And there are massive social studies as to what actually goes on to make people live into their hundreds. My great friend Marcus Pierce does an awesome podcast, 100 Not Out. It's all about the idea of longevity. So what if a suburb can make you live longer? Well, I can tell you coronavirus has come along and certainly put the idea of all of a sudden, should we move to a wellness community so we don't have to put up with what the masses are actually putting up with. What you're going to see is people with a little bit of money have the ability to buy health and ultimately what that means is more capital growth in those neighbourhoods. You probably are seeing that to a degree in Burley Heads, the example I just used from REA, realestate.com. You're seeing double the demand because ultimately Burley Heads is falling into a paradigm of wellness you're living close to the beach you're getting your good food there's a there's an underbelly of uh, nutrition and diet and focus around sports and recreation and mobility and movement and all these things if you study the five blue zones really what occurs in those areas is number one lack of stress lack of stress and of course, if you're working from your laptop from home, from in front of a beach, your stress levels are lower. The second key point 
to living a long life is mobility, movement, not getting in the car and going one hour to work every day and one hour to get home. Movement, walking, walking to the shop, walking to the coffee shop, walking and moving. This is ultimately a massive part of the puzzle of living longer. So all of a sudden, communities which are in absolutely set up to be walkable are becoming so popular from a demand level that they will receive future capital growth. It's a fait complet. I didn't think I said that right. A fait complete. Uh, the ultimate goal of wellness is for people to live longer, but the byproduct of that is for capital growth and rental growth to occur. We've seen it in Byron Bay. Where is the next Byron Bay? How do you invest at $500,000 or less and find these places? Well, they are out there. Let me assure you of that. I'm investing in them. I'm investing in smart places, wellness communities, and uh, recuperative buildings, which are really redefining what real estate is all about. At the end of the day, migration is morphing. Real estate always changes. To bulletproof your real estate plan, make sure you start to use the behavioral economy influences around economics, which are really being an unfolding on people, place, and of course, property. Today, we've covered migration. I hope that gives you a great insight into what is going on, the movement of people around Australia, the hotspots and the not spots. The tip from me, invest in livable neighbourhoods because they are going to be in far more demand than ever before. And of course, because there's so many people that will want them and there's not that many of them, ultimately real estate comes down to a supply and demand metric. There's more demand, less supply of livable areas. They will rise in value. So if you're buying real estate, you need to consider livable neighbourhoods as first on your list when it comes to your next purchase. I hope you've enjoyed the show. I've really enjoyed talking about it. I will catch you soon and I will bring you some more interesting topics around real estate and, of course, how the urban world works the economy works and of course how the social world connects to real estate so you can make some money and get to your final destination with me the one percent club living off passive income for now i'm sam saggers over and out thanks for tuning in to the urban property investor to never miss an episode make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on youtube i would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.